Today's daf is daf samach vav, page sixty-six, in the Heligah Maseches Tadarim. We're up to the Mishnah at the end of the first line, top line, and get ready. We started this parak three days ago, and we are going to finish the parak Be'ezas Hashem today. We just started. We were just introduced to Rebbe Eliezer Aymer, the parak of nullifying vows, and today is our last day of the ninth parak. Can you believe it? Hashem, to finish this parak, let us get going. All right. Zok the Mishnah. If somebody makes a nether, and now is ready to remove the vow, we will be paiseach, we will open up the vow, meaning we're going to release the person from the vow, because of any issues that can crop up vis-a-vis Shabbos and or Yom Tif. Okay? Meaning, Zok the Mishnah, At first, what the Chachamim would do to somebody as far as Shabbos and Yom Tif is concerned, um, they would say, you know what, we're not going to nullify your whole vow. If you can't handle your vow applying to Shabbos or Yom Tif, we'll just make it that your vow won't be effective on Shabbos and Yom Tif, but whenever it's not Shabbos or Yom Tif, you'll still have to keep your vow. Okay? However, Ad Shabbat Rebbe Akiva Valimed Shedneder Shotimachalei You can't have a partial nullification of a vow. Once you're permitting some days on the vow, you, mu- you must permit all days of the vow, when it comes to removing vows, it is all or nothing. There's no in-between. Okay. Now, the source for Rabbi Akiva, as we're going to see, is the Pasuk that obligates a Yid to follow through on a vow is, Kechol hayotze mi piv yase, everything that comes out of your mouth, you're obligated to do. Now, which means, if you're only going to be obligated partially on what comes out of your mouth, there's no chiv. So Bakiva made a drasha and let us know that it's kechol ayez mepiv means all or nothing. Says the Gemara, Ketzad. So what's happening over here? What's the case? Let's make this practical. Omar, if somebody says, Kainam she'eni nenelakulchem. I'm making a kainam. I'm not benefiting from any of you guys. A guy says, I hate that yeshiva so much. Chas v'sholem. I hate that community so much. I hate that organization. I'll make a cut. Of, I will never benefit from anybody who's a member of that organization. As soon as he nullifies one of them, one of them proves to be not what he meant. The entire vow is removed. A guy says, I'm not going to benefit from Ruvain and Shimon. If he removes the vow from Ruvain, even Shivan and anybody else listed, doesn't, there's no obligation to follow through on the vow. However, let's say he removes Shimon and not Ruvain, the last one is Mutter, and the, the earlier ones are going to remain Asr. Okay? What about if you, and we brought up this Gemara earlier in the Mesechta, what happens if he nullifies one of them from the vow. So let's say he made a vow, Reuben, Shimon, Levi, Yehudi, Yisachar, Zavulun. He's not benefiting from any, of, from any of them or they cannot benefit from his property. And then he uh, says, you know, uh, I'm actually nullifying the vow of Levi. 
Halacha is Levi and down that no, that, uh, no longer has a vow, but Reuben and Shimon remain with the vow. Anybody higher up is going to remain usher. Okay. Now, the chiddush of this is that ready. This is a partial nullification. Remember, Rabbi Akiva originally said, "It's all or nothing, boys. You can't have a whole vow or or uh, uh, another one." But here we're given a case that apparently Rabbi Akiva is not going to argue on. Rabbi Akiva will be in full agreement that if somebody says, and here's going to be the chap, I think we're already leading on to the answer, but if somebody says, Reuven and Shimon, he doesn't say all of you, he says Reuven and Shimon and Levi and Yehuda and Yisachar, the Rabbi Akiva will agree as soon as you qualify one, it's from him on down that the expression is removed, but anything earlier on of the expression is going to retain its status as a whole vow. But this still needs clarification as to exactly the lumdus of why Rabbi Akiva would agree. Okay, but let's keep going. Next case of the Mishnah. If a person makes a konam, a vow, and he says, Sha'ani karban karban. Any benefit from Reuven is a karban. Any benefit from Shimon is a karban. So, again, he stated each one separately. Since he said the word karban twice, by each person, it's as if it's two separate vows. Sir Akiva will agree that if you remove the vow from one, the other one remains in place because it's not called a removal of a partial vow. You've removed completely that part of your carbon statement. The other part of the carbon statement, you're not releasing and that's not considered a partial release. It's considered like you're completely releasing one and completely keeping the vow on the other. And Rabbi Akiva would agree that, um, that uh, such a vow would remain in place. Kainam yayin she'ini tainam. Person says to make a kainam from tasting wine. Shahayayin ra'lameayim. And he gives a reason. He says, I heard alcohol, wine, terrible. It's terrible for your stomach. It's geferlich. I'm making a kainam, I'm never touching wine. Well, Amrulai, they say to him, dude, <laughs> you're drinking the wrong wine. There's God's finer wines that are very good for your digestive system. They're very good for your intestines. They're very good. For, they're very healthy. Right? So what happens? Says the Mishnah, The halacha is, any good wine that doesn't hurt your stomach is fine. Because he said at the time of his vow, I will not drink wine because it's bad for the stomach. So what we're saying, in it, it means any wine that's bad for the stomach, don't drink. But if it's good for the stomach, if it's aged, it's good quality wine, And not only that, you're ready? Back to Rabbi Akiva's statement is that once we allow good wine for your stomach to be permitted, we have to allow everything. Because he said... I'm forbidding wine, one statement, because it hurts my stomach. Once there's wine that exists that doesn't hurt the stomach, which we know to be a fact, there's some wines that are gans fine. So then, everything's going to become mutter. Okay? Next example of Rabbi Akiva. Kainam batzal He says, I am not tasting another onion. No onions for me. You know why? 
Shahabatsal Ralalev. Onions are terrible for the heart. Amrulai, they say to him, What are you talking about? Halai Kufri Yafalalev. Kufri, okay, which was, uh, we learned this uh, earlier in the Masechta as well. It's a specific type of onion. We say it's ganz fine for the heart. There's no issue whatsoever. No issue. So now all of a sudden that onion is not included in his vow and once that onion is not included in his vow and all he said was the word onion and now we have onion that's not included what happens according to Rabbi Akiva? There's no vow at all. This taka happened, there was a story. A guy says, oh, onions, terrible for your heart. No more onions for me. The doctor's orders. And we're like, what? Are you, who? Go get a second opinion. Yeah, what are you talking about? There's onions that are excellent, and Rameyer said all onions are going to be permitted for him to eat. Okay, beautiful. Zok de Gumar. All right, very straightforward. Um, very straightforward. Mishnah says the Gemara Why are you doing that? Here we go. We said that if somebody makes a vow and he gives a whole list of people, if as soon as you remove the last guy, he's removed, the first guy remains in place. Yeah, in order for it to even be uh, exist on number of people, you have to swear for each one separately. Okay? So if he says... Um, if he says carbon, takes a vow statement, also on each person separately, each one, it's considered to have made a separate oath, or a separate vow, I'm sorry, a separate kind of. And um, once you remove one, the other ones are going to remain in place. A person says, I'm being a kind of from tasting wine. Okay, I'm not tasting wine anymore. And then he says, oh, because I heard it's terrible for the stomach. And they told him, you, what are you talking about? He says the Gemara, the tape clay, the ain rot. Why does the Mishnah say, and they show him old wine? Ask the Gemara, why don't they just, why, don't, why doesn't the Mishnah say the following? A guy says, I will not drink wine because it's bad for the belly. And somebody says to him, there's wines that are good for the belly. Why don't Mishnah say, oh, but there's old wine? Like, why? Why do you got to say old wine? The, the difference is not old or new. The difference is whether it's good for the stomach or not good for the stomach. Why do you got to get to, why do you have to touch upon old wine? Maybe there's new wines that are good for the stomach too. Um, Ravaba, You're right, but the Mishnah is adding on an additional idea, which is letting us know uh, uh, some medicine over here, some medicinal tips that happens to be older wine is taka, good for your stomach. Granted, there's new wines that don't hurt your stomach either. True. But punct, it happens to be. Old wine is very good for the stomach. Okay. is not good for the heart, he thought. And then we argued on him. Why don't we just say, oh, what do you mean there's kufri? Why don't you tell him there's onions that are good? Why do you got to mention specific ones? Again, also, it's teaching us this added lean. But first of all, there are onions that uh, won't be included. And second of all, it wants to let us know the you know a, a medicine tip, a health tip, that if somebody has a heart ailment, eating kufri is beneficial for the heart. Okay. Back to the Mishnah. 
Now this is going back on the Mishnah that taught us that we'll remove a vow out of the honor of one's parents. Remember that Mishnah? We say to them, do you know that if, by not following the vow, it's a lack of covet for your parents? So going back to that idea, we say to him, you know, would you have known that it's a lack of respect to you and to your children? If you would have known that, would you have made the vow? Says the Mishnah, yeah, we do find an opening for the vow because of his own covet and his children's covet. Meaning, I'm We'll say to this guy, Ilu, this guy wants to find an opening in his vow. He wants to remove it. So we'll say, Ilu If you would have known that in the, in the community, tomorrow, that they're going to speak about you, This guy's a wife divorcer. And they'll say about your kids, These kids are the daughters of divorced women. We'll explain in a moment what that means. What's that issue? We'll explain what that means. Look what he's doing. What's this guy doing divorcing all these mothers? That is all going to be considered a proper opening. Okay. Now, what's going on in this first half of the Mishnah? This is actually very interesting. There's a mitzvah in the Torah that you're not obligated to do. But as a mitzvah, if you're put into that circumstance, which is get, gitten, divorce, the Torah gives place for gitten. The Torah makes place for divorce. When the Torah tells us about the mitzvah of get, you know what it says in the pasuk? Ki erbas daver. Gives us a, a, a setting. The Torah gives a setting. If a man finds in a, finds in a woman lewdness, immorality, which the Torah is hinting to us. There's a lot of Torah there. The Torah is letting us know. The pri- there's, there, there's other reasons why people might get divorced. But the primary reason for a divorce to be a, to, the, for there to be a proper setting for a divorce is if there's immorality in the relationship. Immorality. So now here's the deal. You ready? With that background, listen to this, it's Gishmak. When somebody goes and divorces the wife, people in the streets are going to start talking about the family being immoral. Not only his wife, but why he divorced his wife. And if they're going to start about why he divorced his wife, guess what people are going to say? Oh, maybe his kids are Mamzerim too. The daughter of the divorced woman. Oh, why is she divorced? Oh, there must be a morality. Papa. They're going to make that assumption that it's based upon what happened in the Torah. Okay? And therefore we're going to say to him, Hello, and Shuldix, you said that, that uh, your wife can't benefit from you. If you would have known that it could lead to this type of assumption by people, if you have to divorce, would you have made the vow? And he says, no, we'll say fine. No vow. Mutter. You're fine. If somebody says, I'm never marrying this woman because she's ugly. He doesn't know what she's talking about. She's beautiful. She's beautiful. Now, we know beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. That's external beauty. What's real beauty? 
Real beauty is what a person is. Okay? So you could assume to take this Mishnah both chitzainius and or panemius. A guy thinks that there's another Yiddish girl who's ugly in Midas. Ugly in Midas. And turns out he's wrong. Beautiful Midas. Okay? So, Shaira, very Levana, things dark, light. Ktsara, very Arucha, not marrying her because she's short. Turns out she's not short. Mutaba, he's Mutter, because the whole nether was a mistake. Not because something changed. Shaira Venasa Levana, Ktsara Venasa Arucha, Ella Shanada Tois, the whole thing was a mistake. And therefore, it wasn't a nether, it was never a vow in the first place. The whole thing was a mistake. He didn't know what he was talking about. He was given the wrong information. He had the wrong thoughts going through his mind. Now, it seems that if things change later on, like we learned earlier when we quoted this Mishnah, it seems if things change later on, you cannot nullify the vow. But if at the time you made the vow, you happened to be wrong, it's not a vow. There was somebody back then, apparently, they used to pressure, they used to, not pressure, they, it, it was apparently a mitzvah for an uncle to marry a niece. It was un- right Say that again? I don't who, who makes the judgment of being right or wrong? Who makes that judgment? Um, he does. We show him that he's wrong. If he admits that. Yeah. He admits, exactly. Yeah, he says, I, I thought... He says something that's not true. You bring, out, you bring out his niece, who he said he's never going to marry, because whatever, and uh, he looks at her, he's like, oh, uh, I, I, I didn't know this was her. I never would have said that. So we could rely on him to find that, and, and that's a Pesach. That's, an, that's not even a Pesach. I mean, the nether never happened in the first place, because the whole thing was a taste. Okay. There was a story. A guy made another, people were pressuring him to marry his niece. And he says, ain't no way, no how. Not marrying her. So what they do, this is incredible, Hever, listen closely. They brought her to Rabbi Shmuel's house and he beautified her. Inside and outside. Amalei Rabbi Shmuel. They invite this guy over to Rabbi Shmuel's house where his niece is staying and Rabbi Shmuel brings out this very nice, wonderful lady. And he says, were you talking about her when you made the vow? Omar Lahi. And he says to Rabbi Shmuel, um, love, no. Uh, never, word, no. never says something about a woman like this. Rabbi Shmuel. Shmuel said, oh, well... <laughs> Your mother to marry her. Your nether does not remain in place. Because this is a very deep idea. Beauty very often just needs to be brought out and it's laying dormant in a person. We have to know this about ourselves. We have to know this about others. Sometimes we view ourselves as ugly and we have such greatness inside that just needs a little bit of tenderness to come out. And there's so many beautiful people out there that can look very, the words crude, Whatever it is on the outside, very tough and not, you know, and, and there's there's a lot of beauty that just needs to be brought out. As we say, they're pinemius, they're inner 
Emes has not come out yet in their chitzainiyas. And there's many times where we judge each other in, in that fashion. And uh, we need to learn to judge people from the inside out as opposed to the outside in. Listen to what happens. Listen to the Maisa. Rabbi Yishmael started crying and he said, Every single Jewish woman is beautiful. There's poverty. There's poverty. It's going to be spiritual poverty. It could be physical poverty. It's outside things that get in the way and remove or hide the beauty of Jewish daughters. Yeah, and cry over Rabbi Shmuel and cry over Shaul. Okay? Because apparently Shaul and Reb uh, and Rabbi Shmuel, they were the champions for the Jewish women. They ensured that Jewish women and their all the beauty that they possessed, the goodness that comes out of them, they saw this in the in the uh, Jewish daughters, and uh, they, they saw that greatness that perhaps other people missed. And when they passed away, the, the Jewish women, the Jewish daughters, they, they knew this about them. Okay. Says the Gemara, Maisa Listar. Okay. This story with Rabbi Shmuel seems to be a little lacking, a little hidden. So the Gemara says, you're right, there's more to the story. Rabbi Shmuel says, even if some, somebody started, a woman started out ugly, became beautiful. Dark, became light. Short, And they brought it to Rabbi Shmuel's house, and he, uh, and he beautified her. Okay? So, the Mishnah over here is giving an example of why Rabbi Shmuel uh, argues on the Tanakama and holds that there's no such thing as Bnei Yisrael that doesn't have the uh, that doesn't have the beauty that can be brought out. Top of Samachvav Amr Beis Tana. We learned in Abraisa. Shane Taiteves Haisa La. What happened with this niece in the story of Rabbi Shmuel when he beautified this girl? It turns out. That she had, um, she was lacking teeth. Her teeth had rotted. And Rabbi Shmuel paid for her to have beautiful golden teeth that were made. They eulogized Rabbi Shmuel in the following way. The women, the daughters of Klal Yisrael. Should cry over Rabbi Shmuel, Hamala Bishchem Bechulu, who who uh, dressed you, meaning who brought out the greatness in Rabbi Shmuel. This is such a um, powerful idea. It's a very powerful idea, and you know, we're not here forever. We're not here forever. Um, it's very interesting when you read the Gedolim books. And you read biographies about great people. It writes a lot about what they did. It's very rare that I've seen. And why would somebody write a book? To bring out the lessons and messages of that person for eternity. So we don't forget 
those values, those ethics, those morals. I'm trying to remember if I've ever read a book about a gadol that has more than one chapter in the entire book that speaks about their brilliance. Doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. You read books about, about big people. It could be gadolim, and it could be regular people that were big people. Yidin, who seem to be regular, but they're just good. You read their books, there's chapters and chapters and chapters about how they made people feel, how they interacted with people, their honesty, their menschlichkeit. It goes on and on and on. And here and there, it might be, yeah, he was also a, also a lamdan. Also a lamdan. It's very interesting. How you have the greatest people, they devote themselves to Torah and everything, and yet the Torah is what developed the Midos. But ultimately, what's the focus that we remember for eternity this, purpose, this person by? It's, it's so much about how they interacted with others. It's a very interesting concept. Why am I mentioning this here? You have Rabbi Yishmol, the Halikah Rabbi Yishmol. He's all over. Rabbi Yishmol is all over. Mishnah Gemar. A Balmaspid gets up. A Saftana. The one who eulogizes. You want to get up and you want to encapsulate this person's life. What does he say? B'nai Yisrael al Rabbi Shmuel b'chen. This is how we remember Rabbi Shmuel. Way to remember Rabbi Shmuel is he was the champion of the B'nai Yisrael. Fascinating idea in, in, uh, for ourselves to, to recognize the impact that we have very often is, is, uh, in, is impacted by, by the interactions with others. We don't, we don't live on an island. We don't, we don't live alone. We don't live alone. It's... It's, it's so important. The more we can be giving and the more we can be there and impact and guide and develop, it's the, 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 greater, the, the greater this chus is. Okay, weiter. Here we go. Let's keep going. There was somebody who said, Ledebisus to his wife. It's very interesting. Sometimes in Chazal, we call a wife a daughter. Ledebisu, Nitshayrish, Abbas, a daughter. Sometimes a wife is called a daughter. My father, Zechariah Levracha, would explain because it's the, it's the husband's achrayis in the home to bring the tire away to the home. It's not the wife's achrayis. It's not the wife's achrayis. The husband's the one responsible to bring what the tire wants and the tire's approach to everything into the house. And then the wife implements it. So in that sense, she's feeding off of the values that he's bringing into the house, similar to a daughter. You don't treat your wife like a daughter, obviously, but similar to a child who lives off that, uh, you know, the, the values that the parent gives over, a wife's, really, achrayas can only be with whatever, whatever tyradika values the, the husband brings in. Okay, so the guy says to his wife, I'm making a vow. You're not going to benefit from me. I'm not eating. You're not going to benefit from me until Rabbi Shimon, until Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Shimon um, eat from your soup. Okay. Now, um, why did he do this? Why did he do this? It's not so clear. It's not so clear why he did this. It could be he wanted them to, you know, get a taste of, uh, of the terrible food that he had to eat, or, 
<laughs> whatever it was, where he had some, he wanted her to interact with the gedolim. I'm not sure. Yeah, you got. You better make sure they eat from your food. This is what happens. Rabbi Yehuda time. Rabbi Yehuda, the woman says, "My husband said you need to eat the soup." Rabbi Yehuda said, "Okay, I'll taste the soup. Fine. Why?" Amar kavachaymer. He made a kavachaymer. My Allah says, "Shalman ishta ishta yomer tayrash mishinek lebekdushi yimchamayim amarim b'safek vaniyalchas kama v'kama." When it comes to a saita who we don't know whether or not she's forbidden to her husband, Akadish Baruch, who God himself says, he raised my name in the saita water to make Shalom Bayez. Over here, to have Shalom Bayez. No, I'll taste the soup. Now, the Ron explains over here, it's, it's beneath his dignity to, to be the, the, the judge on how talented her cooking is. What are you going to a gunnel at dark? For him to judge, what are you doing? Yeah. It's beneath his dignity. Covenant there. Rebuta said, listen, it is beneath my dignity. He knew. But he says, if HaKadosh Baruch is willing to have his name erased for Shalom Bayez, Shalom Bayez, I'll do it. Fine. Rav Shimon Laitoyim. Rav Shim Bayechai. No. He said, I'm not eating Omar. He said, Yemusu Kovane Amonav Al Yosun Shimim Koymai. I will not taste this. You know why? I represent Tyra and it's a disgrace to Kovenat Tyra. And he says, you know why else I can't taste it? Because I want to make sure this guy learns his lesson to stop making vows like this. I want him to be stuck in a predicament and have to wiggle his way out so he knows to stop doing this in the future. Okay. Who's right? Both of them are right. Two differing approaches, two gedailim, each one taking uh, their own mahalach, one's taking... The Malach of Rabbi Yehuda, just, you know, be nice, let it happen, whatever. It's beneath my dignity, Seder. Shibayachai felt it's his role to send a strong message to, uh, to this guy. Okay. There's another story. Somebody says to his wife, I'm making a vow. You cannot benefit from me. You will not benefit until you spit on Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. Osas virakak al So she spit on his jacket. Omar layer of achami difti leravina vahailazilusa kamiskav. How could Rishuring Amlil take part in this mishigas if if the whole intent over here was to put him down, and if he wasn't even put down, and you could always change your jacket, yeah. So maybe she didn't even fulfill her end of the deal. Why? Maybe she had to spit on his skin. Which, now he's got to take a shower. As opposed to just changing his jacket or his shirt. So Omar Lay, he says to him, It was enough of an embarrassment that this woman went and spit on Rav Shem Ben Gamliel that it was enough to say, Peseder, it's all right, you know, uh, she fulfilled her end of the, she fulfilled what she had to do, and now the, um, the uh, she, she's permitted to benefit from her husband. Now, listen, we're obviously not dealing with, I mean, obviously, we're probably, to, if you take this, there's more to the story, but if you're going to take the story at face value, you say, all right, no, you can try to picture the situation, somebody's nishtan, nishtan alam, and he's, he's not all there, he doesn't have, uh, you know, all the marbles uh, lined up in a row. 
Okay, and that's that's their relationship, and that's how they work. And the gedolim rolled with it. Gedolim rolled. You know, sometimes that's that's how they're. Uh, it's how they. Fun- that's how these other people function, as meshuga as it is. You will not benefit from me until you show Rabbi Shmob, Rabbi Yaisi, how beautiful you are. Okay? Omar Lahem, Shema Raishana. So, they, um, he, he said to people, he said, oh, you know, maybe she's, maybe she has a, a nice head. Amrulai, they said to him, Sigalgal, no, she doesn't have a nice head. It's like, uh, her head looks like a bowling ball. Yeah. Shema Sarana, maybe I'll try to find something nice. Yeah, to help their relationship. Maybe she has nice hair. Pishton. Her hair is full of knots. Yeah, it looks like a mousetrap. Time uh Shema Inel noise, maybe she has nice eyes. No. Say uh truth I say. Truth I say. Truth means they, they're completely round, completely round eyes. There's nothing nice about them. Shema's no noise, maybe she's got nice ears. Kful I say. Like Dumbo the elephant. Yeah? You humongous ears. Nothing nice about it. Again, there's going to be more to these stories. You want to look inside the Marsha. There's deeper meanings to all this. Shema Chaitbana. Maybe she got a nice nose. It's a Balam who? No. The, the nose barely works because her nostrils are like, you know, uh, they, they barely open. Shema Sifsaisa. Nice. Maybe she, uh, she has nice lips. Okay. So, uh, always saying, no, her lips are humongous. Shema Tzavarana, nice neck. Shakutu, she doesn't have a neck. You can't find it. Yeah, cover over. Shema Kresana, she had a nice stomach. Say Tzavahu, Tzavah is bloated. Shema Ragla, nice. Rechava is Kishel Abza, her feet. Look like goose feet. Shema Shmona. I'm still trying to find something nice about her. What's her name? She got a nice name. So they said, Lichluchis Shema. Her name is Lichluchis. Lichluchis is like drippy. Lach, wet. Her name is drippy. Omar Lahem, he says to them, Yafa Karnay Lichluchis. I'll tell you what's beautiful. A woman who looks like this makes sense. They call her drippy. It's a beautiful name for somebody like this. She's taka drippy. Visharia. And they said, okay, they found something nice. You know what they found nice about her? That she has a bakavatika name for somebody that Nabuch, you know, has nothing going for them. Imagine if she had a beautiful name on something that was uh, Nabuch had nothing going. They were a waste of a name, waste of a beautiful name. What's beautiful about her is that when you hear her name, what you hear is what you get. That's what's beautiful. What you hear is what you get. That's the beauty. They said, oh, Taka, that's a beautiful Zach. It stims, it goes together. Okay, it's a nice mice. I'll tell you a quick idea. You see from here, where's, there, where's true beauty? 
When things work. When things work. And something, something's beautiful when it works out. And it makes sense. That's it. Something stims, something works. There's, there's something beautiful about it. All right, let's end off. One more mice. Here we go. There was somebody from Babel who went to Eretz Yisrael with his wife. Omar Law, and he said to his wife, Bishili Trey Talfi, please cook for me to Talfi. Bishila Law Trey Talfi, and she cooked for him to Talfi. Yeah. So he said Talfi. So now just, I, I want to pause for a minute. Here's what happened. He's a Babel guy who's, I said he took his wife with him. That's not what happened. He went from Babel to Eretz Yisrael. And he got married in Eretz Yisrael. So he says to his wife, Amar Law, let's back up. Amar Law, one line, he says to her, Bishili Trey Talfi, cook for me two Talfi. Now, Talfi in Bavel, Rashi, uh, um, Rashi says, was um, Ragli Behema, the feet of animals. Is that how they make Pacha? Something? Yeah, how do they make Pacha? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So he says, I, I want like cooked animal feet. But the thing is, she was Israeli. So, so she cooked two talfe, she cooked two lentils. Okay? They called it something else. They spoke a different language. So he got angry with her. The next day, I want you to cook for me garviza. Okay? This was, uh, he wants a lot. Bishila lay grava. And, and um, she cooked for him grava. Okay? Uh, which was uh, also a measure, but it's kind of like, you know, there's shkolim in, in Eretz Yisrael now, and then a shekel in the Torah. So he asked for a specific amount, and she cooked him like 20 times that amount. Because from Eretz Yisrael, they used it different. Omar La, she says there, Zili Aisali Trey Butsini. Please bring me to Butsini. Okay? Um, now, Butsini uh, in Bovel is melons, but in Eretz Yisrael, Rashi here says it was like a, um, a menaira, like a lamp, uh, 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 like a lantern. Yeah? So, Azalt Shragi. So, instead of bringing him melons, she brought him two lamps. She thought he wanted to read, you know, whatever. Omar Lazil Tavri Yasin Al Reisha de Baba. Go take these lamps and break them on the head of Bava. What's on the head of Bava? So, Bava in Bavel is an opening. Go break it on the door. Well, <laughs> here's the problem. In Eretz Yisrael, there was a big tzaddik whose name was Bava. So this guy meant a door. And she thought, he told her, yeah, Amelia Bedilia. He, she thought, he told her, go break it on this guy's the tzaddik's head. So she went, her husband tells her, she's a wife who listens. Yeah, Amelia Bedelia takes it literally, and she breaks it on the head of Bava. Not on the doorway, but on Bava's head. Oh my Allah, so Bava just got a clap on the head. And he says to her, Ma what are you doing? I don't know, ask my husband. Your husband asks you to do something and you do it. You know what? You're a nice person. You're a nice lady. Sincere. 
Hamakam Yaitzi Mechshnei Banim Kivav Bambuta. May Kadosh Baruch Hu bless you that you have two children as great as Bava Bambuta. He was letting her know who he was, and at the same time, you hit us. You get hit on the head, and you turn around, and he gives somebody a bracha. Got whacked in the face. That's that tzaddik. And he says, "What?" He says, "Huh? Shav tzaddikim, shav children who come out like Bava Bambuta." Hadron Alach. Rabbi Eliezer, Hadron Allah, Rabbi Eliezer, Hadron Allah, Rabbi Eliezer, Malzav, everybody who finished the ninth parak, the Heligah Masechah, the Dorim, Bezem, tomorrow, we will pick up the bottom line, Samachvafam Rebez, with the tenth parak. Have a wonderful, wonderful evening, and a guten Erev Shabbos.